Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Hello, welcome back to Better Words. Hello. (laughs) We have just spent like half an hour before hitting record talking about my wedding. I know, which is why I had no idea what to say when you actually started recording. I was like, oh, I forgot. Um, I can't believe it. Not that like the wedding thing is exciting, but that we're doing it overseas. So yeah, planning happening. Lots of planning. If you follow either of us on Instagram, I'm sure you'll see all the photos come the end of October. So yes, yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. So excited. We we booked our flights last night as we're recording this, um, and it's just so exciting to book international flights again. Like, oh, <laughs> it's so, so weird. Good. I can't believe, um, you know, like we were. I was supposed to come visit you guys while you were living over there. The trip was planned for September 2020, which is before you even got engaged. I know. And now, and I never made it. And then you got engaged, and then you came back. And now I'm going over for your wedding. Ah, so I know it's it's crazy. It's really crazy. Um, and also, about this time last year, give or take a few days when this comes out, was when Jack finished his job and we moved out of our house in Chesterfield. Yeah, so it's been God. a year. Crazy. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's just so bizarre anyway. it's really it's really hard I don't like it anyway um so yeah we are very excited and you know what I texted Caitlin the other day and I was like oh my god I've just realized because we're going in autumn I was like I have just realized we're gonna be there during like the big autumn hardback release like this is when books we're gonna come back in the UK with all- <gasps> It's going to be so good. Oh, yeah. No, it's going to be so good because we're going to be there. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't even have to, like, pre-order the new Thursday Murder Club because I get to buy the new hardback, like, when it comes out. Oh, so excited. And and today I was like, oh, my God, I've got to make a list. I'm going to have to take a bunch of books over there, all our Aussie books for my UK friends (laughs) that I've been, like, saving up because postage is such a pain. So I'll just – I'll fill my bag Take a suitcase full of books, give them away, and then pack the (laughs) books And then fill it again. Fill it again to come home. Oh, Solid plan. It's going to be so – it's going to be so good. And, um, yeah, oh cannot wait and when we were in Edinburgh Caitlin um because spoiler alert it's not spoiler alert but um that's where Jack and I are getting married so many bookshops for us to visit I cannot wait I know you're gonna love the Harry Potter stuff you're gonna do the Harry Potter tour in London which I'm very jealous of because we still haven't got a chance to do it um well you're getting married so I I know I know I know, but like it's it's annoying that we never got to do it because of COVID when we yeah. were over there. Um, but you're gonna love like all the you can do like walking tours with all the Harry Potter inspired things. Oh, it's just so Edinburgh's so lovely. It's such a bookish I'm so city. I'm excited for all these things. I I am gonna continue the joke to everyone that I'm just going on this quick little trip to um go to my best friend's wedding, go to the Harry Potter tour, and see something on the West End, and then I'll come home <laughs> because. <laughs> that's all I really have the energy to plan to be honest I feel like most people would probably agree with me that it's not really the time and no offense if anyone is doing this but I feel like it's not I'm not really ready yet for another like month long or two month kind of like big big trip I'm just like feel overwhelming I mean we're we're going for six weeks but the majority of that apart from we're going on like a little honeymoon in Scotland but yeah. apart but from that, really, stuff yeah, there. literally, really, the reason that we're going for six weeks is not because we're doing some epic tour, but we'll be up, but an epic tour of our friends. Like it's not, yeah. And we might, we might try and do a few little side trips with them, but we're not doing that like epic, like our first holiday together overseas was like this huge road trip of Ireland. Like we're not doing anything like that. We're mainly like, we're probably traveling for like two weeks out of that. And other than that, we're sort of basing ourselves and just visiting people and 
you know, doing walks and all the things that I love. Um, so, yeah, it's it, I, I do understand because I started to think about what our little honeymoon trip will be. And, that, yeah, I was like, oh, my God, this is a lot. I've got to get some guidebooks out and, like, get some ideas. I know. I don't even know how lot. to plan a holiday anymore. How we, oh, my God. So much to figure out, but. We should do I'm gonna, I'm gonna have I'm gonna give you I'm gonna bring my England guidebook down for you when I come visit you in Sydney because that's the other trip that we're planning is we're gonna come visit you in Sydney soon. Yay! Um so yeah, very excited for that. Again, to- this will be like a total tourist holiday because Jack hasn't been to Sydney since he was a kid. So I'm gonna take him to all my favorite things. There's some fun stuff. We're here. hanging out. Like, yeah, we're going to do total tour. I love Sydney. So I'm totally there for like all the Harbour Bridge shots and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and all the bookstores as well. That yeah. is another trip where I'll be coming back with a lot of books. I can get lots of Aussie books there and I can take them overseas. Look Done. at this. It's all working out. <laughs> anyway, five minutes in, let's actually give the people what they want. Um, and some bookish content. Um, so we are doing recommendations this week. Yes, we are. And my recommendation this week is Blood Moon by Lucy Cathu. And this book is one of those ones that just like hits you right in the gut. Um, and that is a bit of a funny way to say that because of this whole book, <laughs> if Blood Moon um, is also a clue, this whole book really at the crux is about cyberbullying that ensues after assholes find out that Frankie our main character uh got her period when she was hooking up with a guy for the first time oh why are men I know they're all so gross the blood moon is YA it's British and it's all written in verse so it's so fast and you get so absorbed in the story and it's just um michelle you're gonna love this book you need to read it um well why don't i read it when i'm at your house (laughs) oh i got it from the library so i don't have it okay Um, um have you read any of sarah crossan's books because she's another british author who does a lot of ya verse novels i haven't but I would like to read some of hers I think I'm sure you've recommended those to me before but yeah I reckon if you it sounds like not similar but like yeah like them then I do like them but this book powerful about verse novels like it really less in them but it oh I know it's so powerful this book really is like very moving and like punchy and everything and so a bit more about the story, I guess, because I have been gushing a bit. Um, so our main character, Frankie, this is all on the blurb. She, you know, starts to like this guy. Pretty sure his name was Ben. They, like, start to, like, talk to each other a bit more or whatever. They, like, walk to and from school for, like, a day or something. And then they, like, hook up. And, like, at the end she gets her period and he has, like, a bit of blood on him. And they, in the moment, it's so nice and they have like a bit of a laugh about it and they're like oh whoops that's a bit embarrassing and he's like no it's fine I've got sisters you know like whatever it's only blood right and like it's that part of it is handled so beautifully of course then what happens is somehow other people find out and it just like starts this whole campaign they and like the school bullies create memes and like all of this and it just gets like worse and worse and worse but it's so powerful and then like a whole bunch of awesome girls end up standing up to everyone at the very end which is you know gives away the end I guess a bit but like it works out and like it's fine and very punchy and exactly the kind of book that we like yeah that sounds amazing so my recommendation is I didn't want to do this as a recommendation because they're (laughs) trying not to we're trying to oh, recommend not to like different up. books. Yeah. Not to not to keep recommending books by people that we've interviewed because you know that we think that they're awesome. But I could not help myself. I read The No Show by Beth O'Leary the week it came out. And oh, I have so my copy sitting right next to me and I <sighs> with you know, we're still reading and prepping up things for interviews and book clubs and everything, so I haven't gotten to it yet, but I really want to. Tell us about it's it. It's so good. It's so good. Okay, so I think this might be my favourite of hers. It's 
so good. The three women main characters, Siobhan, Miranda, and Jane, are so great. I loved all of them in their own way. Like, they're just such great characters. And, you know, Beth O'Leary is just brilliant at writing such good real people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I just loved, like, from the very first, so it alternates between those three women for the whole book. And I just instantly was really into them and wanted to know what happened to them. Um, it's about different types of relationships and there is romance in there, um, but it's just classic like Beth O'Leary flair of there's lots of other stuff that's explored as well. Um So the premise is that Carter has a date that he's meant to show up for in the morning with Siobhan and he doesn't, he stands her up and then he has a date that he's meant to go to at lunch with Miranda and he stands her up and then he has a date that he's meant to go to with Jane in the evening and he stands her up and that's where the story starts and it sort of all unfolds from there and it's just so good and I can't really say anything else without spoiling it so I'm just to say read it it's so great no it's so great just read it I'm not going to say anything else but it's really really good wonderful Beth O'Leary does it again (laughs) and now after our wedding chatter and a couple of good recommendations there excellent recommendations um, and we will keep you updated on the wedding stuff as well. <laughs> <laughs> of course, because you're desperate to know. Obviously. <laughs> um, well, and then our wonderful interview today, I may have to revisit this book and maybe attend a couple of Toastmasters meetings to prepare for my maid of honour speech. <laughs> the unofficial maid of honour since I'm not officially having anyone. I have officially decided. <laughs> Our guest this week is a novelist, podcaster and engineer living in Melbourne with her husband and children. Her debut novel, The Helpline, was published in Australia, the US, UK and Germany and Italy. She also co-hosts a book podcast called The First Time, which I love the name of. And today we are discussing her new novel, The Competition. Welcome, Catherine Collette. Ah, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Not least of all because I can hear bedtime happening in the background with my Ah. (laughs) cow out of that. Well, yeah, yeah, you've got a a valid excuse. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's nice to chat to a fellow book podcaster as well. That's lovely. I was just (laughs) saying um, before we came on air how nice it is not to be the one having to remember to push record, which you have done. Yes, I know. We are recording. We're off to a great start. Um, And how nice (laughs) is it knowing that you don't have to edit the episode as well? You're just like, I record and I'm done and I go. (laughs) Feels very luxurious. So we really enjoyed the book and the best place to start probably is with what the book is about. Can you tell us a little bit about the competition? I can. Hopefully I've honed my pitch by now. The competition is a book that is set in the very weird world of competitive public speaking. So it takes place across a four-day time period and it's set at the National uh, Speechmakers Australian Championship. And it follows a couple of different characters, but mainly just two who are competing to be crowned Australia's best speechmaker. And they are a young woman called Frances, who's in her early 20s. She used to be a high school debater, a straight A student. She's had a fall from grace. She's competing because she wants to win the prize money, uh, this $40,000 on offer. And the other main character is a, a recent retiree called Keith. He has been in speechmaker's since the dawn of time and is desperate to win. And I guess his his main motivation is both glory and also he thinks that that uh, seeing him in the light of victory will make his wife fall back in love with him. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Classic. It's, it's like, of course that will work, Keith. I'm sure that will bring her back. But I think he is also very concerned with the glory and I really liked reading the like their different perspectives, which we'll get to a bit later, just because I just 
I love you can picture Keith so clearly being like, Oh, it's too it's too commercial now. Like, oh we've got sponsors, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of affection for Keith. Um, I really liked Keith, yeah. <laughs> I uh I and we probably may talk about this, but I participated in Toastmasters, which is a well known public speaking club. And Toastmasters has a very diverse membership, people from all walks of life. But there is a bit of an archetype in Keith. Keith is definitely a um, a Toastmaster that you would meet if a you traditional Toastmaster long enough. Yeah, that's well, right. Yeah. We that do nicely on to yeah, yeah, perfect segue. You've done this before. Please tell us a bit about your experience with Toastmasters because I'd never heard of Toastmasters. I know Speechmakers is fictional, but I just oh, my love- mum always talks about Toastmasters she loves it yeah she did it she doesn't anymore but she used to do it with one particular club on the Gold Coast she met some amazing people and I'm pretty sure that one of the people she met was also called Michelle and that's why she one of the reasons why she gave me my name oh my god wow yeah so like it's it's, the best story but it's like lifelong friends she loves Toastmasters so much so I've known about it but to be quite honest with you I didn't realize it was really still going it's it's a really it's kind of a it's a very quaint thing um it's the biggest t- type of public speaking club in the world it's volunteer uh, not-for-profit organization and so basically the way that it kind of works is there's heaps of clubs set up all over australia all over the world and you would go to a little church hall or or a meeting room in a library something really community-based and there might be 20 odd people in the room. Some would be very experienced, some would be quite new members. And it's a really structured format for meetings. You have one half of the meeting is people take turns to give impromptu speeches. Um, they actually get a topic to talk to. They don't just stand up and start talking about whatever. So um, you like stand up and someone says something and you just go? Well, someone will say they're called the, the it's also weirdly formal. I love it. It's so traditional and formal. It's awesome. I think that's what makes it so it's good. It's quite charming. It has, yeah. It's sweet. And it's really like it's it's come, it's sort of a bit of a precursor to the real self-improvement movement. Um, so it's really positive and really encouraging. But um, basically for the impromptu section, you would have uh, the table topics master that gets up and has like 10 different topics. And he'll read out the topic or she'll read out the topic. And then they'll say, you know, Caitlin, you've got to talk on um, your favourite flower or what you love about holidays or something like that. And so for three minutes, we sort of hear you. If, if you knew, you might kind of bumble through it. But people are incredible, like how accomplished they become. And they can weave this amazing speech. So that's sort of the first half. And then the second, you would have uh, prepared speeches. But it's, it's this lovely little world. When I first encountered it, I, my first thought was it would be a great setting for a book, largely from a satirical angle, like <laughs> if I'm really honest, um, because it has this like really encouraging, almost culty vibe, um, like really welcoming. But at the first meeting that I went to, this is about 15 years ago, there was a transgender woman who had also just joined. And she gave her first speech and uh, it had nothing to do with gender. It was about Cyclone Tracy. And I got to know her over time and found out that she was in the process of transitioning and Toastmasters was the one place in her whole life to start off with that she was sort of her true self. And that always struck me as you had this satirical bit, but you had this bit that was like, that's incredible that this is the place that a person feels comfortable because it was as positive as church is, I imagine, but obviously a bit problematic church. Um, <laughs> so it just, it, I had this real duality from the beginning and I just, I, I mean, I was there to do public speaking. I swapped jobs and suddenly had to do a lot of public speaking. Um, so I was there for sort of purest reasons, but it ticked over and over and um, a bit like you're saying, Michelle, with your mum's experience, like it's, it's a really heartwarming thing to see people in a very literal sense find their voice. Um, yeah. And I believe you also have to give feedback as well. Yes. On <laughs> yeah. Did that help at all? Like obviously 
you are now as a writer in a position where you get a lot of feedback on stuff that you've poured your heart and soul into. <laughs> Did giving that feedback and also receiving that feedback help in any way when it came to the, the publishing and the editing process? That's a good question. Um, Toastmasters feedback's really structured. It's this praise, improve praise. I think elsewhere it's called a shit sandwich where they you know, <laughs> yeah. sort of say these nice things lead into the jab and then, you know. Yeah, we've um, all been there. Yeah. We've all had that. Oh, that's right. Um, that's gold. So I think, you know, that was the first I kind of heard of that method of giving feedback and I really liked it. Like I think that's such a nice acknowledgement that – you do have to say nice things that feedback yeah. is also complimentary like it's not it's not purely critique um toastmasters is funny because it can be quite difficult to identify what it is that that needs improvement like and to identify things that are actually beneficial like it's probably not constructive to say you, you looked really nervous or you know yeah. you kept twitching or things like that like you sort of um, you have to pick on something that someone actually has control over. So I think it, it definitely helped in writing in the sense that you look for things that you can kind of break down. Um, and I think when you're giving feedback on writing, it can also be really hard to pinpoint what's not working. But I think if you have a bit of a structure of, you know, is it the voice? Is it the actual structure of the thing? Is it too descriptive? Is it, you know, where is the disconnect happening? I think it was useful from that perspective. Yeah, you're right. Sometimes it's hard if it's like, oh, just a vibe is off or there's just something. Like, can't put my finger on it. <laughs> yeah, it is good. hard. Right, it is, it right. is hard sometimes to to really pinpoint like why one word works better than another. Uh, and why someone is a good speaker and, some, yeah. and another person may not be. Yeah. I just think about like reading this book really just made me think about like all the presentations and speeches and stuff I had to do in high school <laughs> and everyone always expected me to do really well because I did drama and like was in school musicals and stuff and I'm like that doesn't mean that I want to do my business presentation or whatever you know like all my yeah. narrative gap monologue in English class it just made me think about all those speeches and I wouldn't have actually spoken in front of anyone like giving a speech or a presentation like that for so many years probably since I was at uni and I just think like doing this regularly must really change your perception on giving presentations and giving speeches and everything it's so like I think what's really lovely about it and I would say this of myself but probably the thing that I found the most beneficial was I was actually an okay speaker like I was a fine speaker what I didn't like about speaking was the energy of the anticipation of it the like that it would have a long build-up and that it would have a long sort of post-mortem that was the bit that I found hard where like thinking about it the whole day when you have to give a two-minute speech in yeah, exactly. um, year 12 English <laughs> yeah exactly like the weight of it was too much and I think for some people it's that or it's partly that whereas I think for others it's it is much more about the the ability to talk and the ability to uh, say something in a way that resonates with people. But it really was, and it's it's funny because I love when people have actually had experience with Toastmasters because probably the word that you associate with it most, and I would say this is inevitable for a public speaking club, is awkward. Like there's a high level of awkwardness involved. So it's incredible to see people, how much a person grows within that environment because I think it's both inevitable that it will be awkward but also necessary. You would not want a public speaking club to be a super cool space because who the hell would want to be vulnerable and try and learn and fail sometimes? So it's that situation yeah. where like everyone's being vulnerable together so it's okay? Exactly. And there's always someone who is, I'm sure everyone in the room is like, there's, there's people who are better than me and there's people who are worse. And that's like a really nice feeling. <laughs> in life I think um yeah to, to be somewhere in the middle I mean if you can't be the best obviously <laughs> that would be great but failing that <laughs> do you think there were any unexpected benefits that have just infiltrated your life as opposed to just oh you know it's helped me be a better public speaker like is there anything else that it's helped you with um I think 
probably for me, like I didn't, um, I didn't go down the line of, you know, there's a lot of, they call it sort of leadership sort of avenues where you, you become the area governor or the this or the that. That was probably less me. Like I was a bit more in and out. But I definitely saw from afar, like people find love. And I to this day think Toastmasters is actually a pretty, like that's not a bad setting to try and meet someone because it's really diverse and it's about talking and that's a good combination of things. That's so, so wonder nice. you didn't make it a rom-com then. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Maybe another Maybe one. Maybe the next one. Another time. The next, next year's <laughs> conference will be yeah. a rom-com. <laughs> um, so I don't know if you've seen these questions go around on social media before I know I've definitely done my fair share and it's a good icebreaker question um but you know what's something that you could give like a TED talk on with with 20 minutes preparation or without preparation or like with no preparation what could you do I could give a TED talk by now um the book came out sort of or what month is it it's probably two months it's been in the world now and I've talked a lot about um public speaking I could definitely give a TED talk on like the life-changing magic of public speaking clubs because (laughs) the other side to them (laughs) that I think is has real capacity for like systemic societal change not to overstate it is hey it's your TED talk that's right that's right it's my TED talk yeah um is that they're also listening clubs and that there are so few spaces in life that we are forced to listen to people say whatever they want to say and it's it's this dual thing of a person finding their voice, but also the other side of being heard is that people are sitting there, you know, taking in what you're saying. And I think I think that's really profound. And like truly taking turns yeah. and listening to exactly. each other. It's like hugely thing. egalitarian, you know. It's not if you're the loudest or if you're, you know, hierarchical or any of those sorts of things. Um, so I really love that about it. Well, my topic's seem very frivolous now um <laughs> yeah because I did write this in our notes because I we both know that yeah what each other's answers would be because Michelle could talk about the Beatles and just give everyone everything like down every little thing or I don't know why British reality television is so much better than the rest oh, of the world I could do a TED talk on the real housewives don't get me wrong like I and would happily do several <laughs> Like, I just, I think they're fascinating. Whereas mine is just like Taylor Swift's discography and sitcoms. Yeah, I could watch all of these. I could pick one, like Friends or Yeah, I I actually like, it's, I'm such a nerd that I'm a little bit sad that I've never had the opportunity to just, someone was like, quick, we need a TED talk about the Beatles, like immediately. You're the only person who's around. Someone explain it to me. I know, I'd be so excited if someone goes, Caitlin, you like Taylor Swift, right? Can you like explain her to me? I'd be thrilled. When I was a kid and it was one of those books where your parents pay and they put your name in the book and, um, I can't remember the the plot of it, but basically there's sort of a climax and they say, oh, my God, we need someone who's got this particular birthday. And obviously for every book it's like the child's birthday initial. You need that for the test. We need a beetle enthusiast that lives in. (laughs) Maybe I just need to go on hard quiz one day. I don't know. I don't think I I could deal with the uh, trauma of, being roasted though oh my god i know and to be honest i don't know if the beatles is specifically for yeah. hard quiz i think actually, need more Caitlin, niche interest. I know that they have had the beatles on hard quiz way back when it first started oh wow already exactly i think it's, now that i watched one the other day and the topic was bricks which, oh my god see yeah but i mean they were taking the kiss out but they also just had harry potter movies which is not very specific wow I mean, no, movies really, bit is specific, like but yeah. Anyway, I love a quiz show. I mean, maybe Mastermind's more my thing. I don't think I'm smart enough for Mastermind, though. Um, anyway, back to the book. <laughs> <laughs> because we also love a book set in kind yes. of a niche world that you don't know a lot love. about. So I loved spending the weekend <laughs> at the speech makers annual conference and competition. I was lucky enough actually to get a grant to go to the States to spend, um, I got to spend, it was great, uh, a week 
at like a five star resort that had just been built that was home to the national to the international Toastmasters conference where they had the championship. So oh, cool. Oh my god, what kind of stuff that did people talk about? Better. Like, it, do they do they have different speeches and stuff there that they prepared? Or is it is it TED talks? Like, it's it's pretty TED talk. It's more. Um, the style of Toastmasters is very inspirational. So it's very life story and this is the meaning of it. And they also had workshops and things. And I just remember one guy was giving a workshop and his advice for, he was a former um, world champion speaker. And his advice was you need to have a phrase that pays. So whatever like story that you tell, you need to, to be able to distill it down into this. Now I obviously can't think of any examples, but you know, if you were a marathon runner talking about what you learned running marathons and in a particular race or something, you sort of had to have this phrase of like, but, but there's beauty in standing still or, you know, some catchy, sort yep. of punchy thing. Yeah. Not yeah. very American at the same time. Or like, it's not always about crossing the finish line. Exactly. Or yeah. exactly. Yeah. Way better. Yeah. That's perfect. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You remember that for when I next have to give speech. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we mentioned before some of the characters, there's, there's a couple of other characters who aren't necessarily main characters, but they're all involved. And yes, Judy and Neil, I loved Judy and Neil. <laughs> it was so fun. And I, I think at one point when I was reading the book, I just thought, I was like, I wonder why you wanted to write from Francis and Keith's perspectives, but then Judy and Neil almost felt like as much a part of the book to me. They, I wrote from their perspective. So I wrote this, the structure of this book was absolutely the hardest part of it. So um, I had whole, it was four people. Uh, so it was Judy and Neil and then it was like three. So it was oh. just Judy and then it was, you know, Neil came in halfway through. So I feel like even though the book alternates between Keith and Francis, I do consider Judy and Neil big parts of the book and when I think about particularly Neil because he was competing I sort of had these like sayings that I would think to to kind of describe their their kind of narrative arcs and Francis's was about learning to tell the truth and uh, Neil's was about learning to sort of speak and actually stop being silent because he has quite an overbearing mother and Keith's was sort of to shut up I mean, that's quite, I like that. You kind of had these core things to like the root of their journey. So you started out, like you said, with multiple perspectives and stuff. Was it something that you decided that would work better with just two perspectives or was it something that happened sort of in the edit down the track? It, it, Frances was always in there and she was always a perspective I was really attached to. Um, I liked Francis's story. The challenge with Francis's story was originally that a lot of, you know, you talk, I talk about this kind of fall from grace that she had. None of that happens in the room. So it was sort of hard to bring a past event into the space. And it, so it was very late that she has a former friend that's, that's there. Keith and Judy and Neil, I probably could have gone with Judy instead of Keith. I liked, given... Francis's story is partly about friendship. I liked the idea of Francis and Keith having a friendship that was quite unlikely in many ways. So that's yeah, part of the that's reason nice. that yeah. I landed on Keith. But yeah, I, I did have a lot of lost words that are attached to Judy and Neil and favourite sentences. It was very much a kill your darling bit. so how did you do like a full draft with that before or it must have been a lot of work it it was a lot of work um it just the issue with it was it got really bogged down like it was hard to move it forward because I suppose for all of those characters you know saying that about Francis that stuff is in the past um is the reason for how she is now that's probably true of all of them so I now look at writers like Leanne Moriarty, who have an ensemble cast within their book, the pithiness with which she gives backstory and gives characterization to her characters is incredible. As someone who tried to do that, I found it really bloody hard. Like, 
Yeah. I mean, it does sound really hard, but it's it's amazing, isn't it, in some books, how you're just like, how do I know so much about all these people in, like, in just these pages? So I'm reading Wahala by Nikki May at the moment, and that's got three main characters and a fourth person sort of whose perspective we don't have, but it swaps between those three main characters. And... I'm absolutely loving it. But again, like I can see why I want to add a fourth person in there as well. You really start to struggle with that, especially if they're not like these are, girls are all interconnected. So it does sort of weave in how they know each other and you get a little bit. Um, and I think now that I'm sort of about like 100 pages in, I'm really in the stride of who knows what and, and everybody's backstories. But yeah, that that must be so challenging to do that in a way that's not like just overbearing for the reader and to, to keep moving the, the story forward. But yeah, how how frustrating for you though to have to oh have to be God. like, oh, Dolly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's the process though, right? Like, yeah. And like, I think knowing now that you did have sections like that written from like Judy, Judy's perspective and Neil's perspective, like I feel like that's all in there. That's probably why I felt like they were mm. such main parts of the story. It wasn't just two people that they each met at their conference, you know, like they were such that a That is true. Like you feel like well. you know them and I think you can convey more in less if if you have that sort of the life of them exists off the page. Yeah, and as you say, you can't get there without the process, even though it's painful. <laughs> That's right. And changing between Francis and Keith is so interesting with, you know, like on the blurb, it's like they're his ex-mentee. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it sounds like the so, rivalry there. so dramatic and, and everyone is surprised. at the. I, I just love how, like, serious the conference is. It's so... <laughs> I want to go, you know, it's amazing. But everyone is surprised that Francis doesn't have a mentor technically and that like they're both from the same club and they made the final. Like I just love all of that. <laughs> love all the small dramas. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Um, so, of course, we mentioned before that you also host a bookish podcast the first time, which is about the first time that you publish a book. Um, so when we started Better Words, um, we will fully admit we had no idea what we were doing and we literally just wanted an excuse to talk about books. <laughs> and we learned a lot yeah, about like Believe it or not, we've gotten a lot better at this. <laughs> oh, I love you. It's the best. Like It's so much fun. But how much, how, so tell us how your podcast came about. So the podcast is called The First Time. It's me and Kate Mildenhall who wrote uh, The Mother Fault and Skylarking. And so when my first book came out, The Helpline, uh, about four years ago, it, it's sort of a weird experience. And uh, I was kept asking Kate, who at the time was the only author that I knew what to expect with certain things, like, if I go on a podcast, what are they even going to ask me? Or like, <laughs> where do you, what do you do at the launch? Like, am I going to have to give a speech? Who should I thank in acknowledgements, all this sort of stuff? And even small things like, there's sort of a, a an etiquette that when your book comes out, you would always send something to the publisher, like cupcakes or uh, like even just knowing those sorts of. Oh my god, I would things. not know that. Who wow. would know that? Like, oh, wow. Well, no, who would yeah. until you're like on the inside? Exactly. You know, like publishing is really funny that way that people just have no idea until they're in. Exactly, and you've sort of left people, you know, haven't thanked people, or which I'm sure people are very gracious and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, so I would ask Kate these questions. Um, and then we sort of realised we should record it. Like we should, you know, there are lots of people that are, you know, emerging writers or early career writers. So that was the, the concept that we would uh, we would talk about in the lead up to my sort of experience happening and as it happened, all of those kinds of things. And then we would also interview other Australian authors about their same experiences. And it has been fascinating um, the name has dated a little because we both published second books now. So it's sort of, we're no longer <laughs> in our first time. Yeah, but it's been, yeah, as you guys say, like, it's so lovely to talk writing and books and it, it gives you an excuse to talk with a friend. But also, like, increasingly, you get to rope in these amazing authors that I know. you can't quite believe will talk to you. Like, I'm interviewing Ben Law tomorrow and I just am like, 
like you well, know we, cool. we, oh, like we will never stop referencing the fact that we interviewed Cecilia Rahern last season but like Breakdown. it's it's extra special not just because she's Cecilia Rahern but because genuinely like ever since I have known her she's one of Caitlin's but Caitlin owns all her books like Caitlin is a mega fan girl and it was just like the most exciting moment and after we finished this interview we're chatting to Barry McFarlane who is my my favorite author who I got Caitlin onto and I just love her books so much and it's one of those situations where you're like I have to be professional and ask lots of good questions but then also you're just like dying that someone you admire and we talked to like Brie Lee and I was just like I can't believe that someone that intelligent is going to be on our podcast (laughs) like excuse me what and also Louise O'Neill I think that was the other one where like people who's writing I mean we love all our guests but those people where I'm just like Oh my god, they're actually going to talk to us. Special <laughs> moments. For sure. Yeah, there must be so many exciting moments. And also, just that, that, you, that you can ask the questions that of things that you're having trouble with. You know, whether yeah. it's about the craft of writing or even just the experience of writerly angst, or <laughs> like it's so cool just to be able to ask experienced writers those things. It is. I think yeah. it's really important when you are in any creative industry to have people who are do, who are going through the same thing and understand that. And I have a couple of friends who also have small businesses because I also do some small business marketing. And I think that's an example like with writers where you can message them and be like, oh, I'm so proud of myself. I did a new email sequence today and it took me all day. And everyone else would be like, great good for you but like someone else who who really gets it and is like yes that's amazing like I'm so happy for you or just all these little things like I'm about to change my business name and I feel like I think Caitlin and my partner get how exciting it is but most people outside the business world don't really they're like oh that's cool good for you and it's like no this is a huge thing (laughs) it's a huge (laughs) deal and it feels like a huge deal for me and it's just, I think you just need people like that. And and with writing as well, like I do feel like you can spend your whole day just staring at a page and you don't actually achieve much because you've deleted something so many times. So to have someone else who just gets it when you're like, I finally got a sentence I love, you know, it's. And, and gets that experience of whether it's writing or small business or whatever it is of putting something into the world, which yeah. is not everybody does and and I feel like everybody should do just to understand the the vulnerability that is in that yeah yeah it's a big deal yeah and like we love asking people about like their publishing journey and like what they found surprising and everything because everyone has a different answer like all time one of my favorite answers we ever had with that question was it, it was Stephanie Yaboa who said she like her like first editorial deadline or whatever she like freaked out and was like writing so much and delivered the whole book and then her publisher was Despite like having like broken why? her leg on holiday yeah like- <laughs> and her publisher was like um why'd you send me the whole book like I only wanted like the first bit or something and she was like what <laughs> like I was asked to finish the book yeah and you didn't and like that wasn't even what this deadline was I don't so I can so imagine that though because I think you feel so grateful that you're just like, I'm not yeah. ask too yeah. many questions. They'll yes. discover like oh my a complete fraud. I know. They, I don't know what I'm doing. If I ask I'll just too write many the whole questions, book. then they're going to suss me. It's that imposter syndrome thing of like, totally. if I ask too many questions, they're going to be like, actually, what the hell have we done? No, we don't yes. want you to write a book. Well, we thought you were Catherine Collett. Like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and we would usually, this is a point where we would usually ask about your publishing journey, but I'm quite interested because your podcast is the first time, but as we've said, the competition is your second novel. I'm interested in knowing, is there anything for the process of book two that has taken you by surprise? Yeah. How did it feel the second time? I think what surprised me, and I I... I think the second time was easier in some ways because I knew what to expect. I had done a lot of, you know, I had done a launch before. I'd done interviews and things like that before. Um, and heard so many other experiences yeah, as well. Exactly. Um, but I think what surprised me is how I did feel so much more vulnerable than I remembered feeling. There was a great quote by 
Ella Baxter, um, who wrote Animal, that she put on um, Twitter in response to a call out for uh, things debut authors should know. And she it was something like, oh, you will feel you know, incredibly vulnerable, like all your skin is off and, um, you know, people will be really kind and some people will be awful and then three weeks later everyone will have forgotten about it and um, no one will remember you anyway. Something like that. And, and I, Oh, my God. It's like, whoa, yeah, that's kind of it. Yeah. But I think that was very much compounded by COVID. Like I'm yeah. based in Melbourne. I've been in you – know, we had a lot of lockdowns and so – I also hadn't been in the world for two years. So I think that, yeah, it sort of felt like a blaze of fire in, in some ways because it was like this emergence and books. And so I felt that, but I also felt alongside that and also because of COVID, I felt really grateful because I had seen a lot of people who had written amazing books that sort of came into the world. You know, if, you, if your book was published in March 2020 when COVID was just hitting. Who would read books pages? Like, did books pages even exist in the paper? It was so just, oh my God, what is this virus and where yeah. is it coming from? All that sort yeah. of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. So, the extremity of feeling, I think, surprised. Ups and downs. Yeah. There's been so many, so many bad moments like over the past two years, obviously, that like every time you think, you know, a lot of books were pushed originally, obviously, and like there was a heat published in like, September 2020 Mm. like so many and because they were all pushed in the middle of the year and then it's like well we just kind of have to do it and then the same thing kept happening for you know up until now essentially and every time you think oh yeah we'll have a launch for this it's like oh no we won't yeah well I just even with my launch was in uh when was it it was in March mid-March and so I think even up until the weekend before the launch happened, I was like, (laughs) yeah, I mean, that happened recently with um, Caitlin and I both went to see a podcast that we love um, in different cities, but right up until I was like, I'm not going to believe it. So I'm walking through the doors of that theater. And that was the first time I'd seen anything live since like the end of 2019. And I was like, it was so much fun. I love it. Um, But yeah, I just was like, oh, I'm just, I'm just expecting waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like it's, it's not, something's going to happen. Like, yeah, I think we've all got that anticipatory anxiety now. Yeah, I, I um, someone in the writing community had a party in December and it was just gone. And it was like, it was really the very first thing sort of coming out of lockdown as things were opening up. And mm. I remember the day after the party, like saying to my mum, it was amazing. There was like 80 people there and, you know, we're all in the house and, you know, they had a bar that was in the lounge and all this sort of stuff and saying how amazing it was. And then literally like an hour later, I got a text message saying, uh, someone at the party had COVID. Oh, because yeah. <laughs> like, uh, see, that's the other fear. It's like theoretically we can have events and stuff now, but like everyone is so worried that, yeah, that you'll get COVID at something or or you know like the day before an event it's like oh actually I've got COVID I can't go anymore or you know my neighbor has COVID or my person I sit next to at work has COVID or whatever oh my goodness wow (sighs) to end on a nice and non-COVID note um we also mentioned at the start that you're an engineer now knowing nothing about engineering I will admit um this is like a seemingly completely opposite side of the brain process to creative industries how did you get into writing or, you know, alternatively, how did you get into engineering? And then how do you feel about working between both? Was there one that sort of came first? Um, I did. I was always good at maths at school and I was good at English. Um, most people are good at both. Yeah, like that's not usually something that happens, well, is it? I, I, just, I just liked both and so when I went to uni I did arts and engineering I actually didn't do creative writing I didn't grow up in a family of people that were writers or in the arts world Um, it just seemed preposterous to me to even think that that was a possibility yeah it just seemed very unlikely so engineering was like I I think I mean I could make it sound like a safe choice but it was also a choice that I was really happy with I'm an environmental Mm. engineer I've spent a lot of time working in uh, the water industry and sewerage and I think 
there's really lovely sides of that in that it's about the environment and you feel like it's it's tangibly meaningful um but I always wrote I wrote little weird creative things I had a blog that no one read and I think I just hit 30 I'm 40 now and I had this moment of I always thought I'd write a book and I just realized that it doesn't work in the way of someone just tapping you on the shoulder and saying, you know, much like the textbook. Would you like to write a book and I'll publish it? <laughs> yeah. That's right. Um, yeah. 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 So I was just like, I'm just going to do it. So I, I became obsessed. I had previously done exercise every morning before work. I gave up exercise and I just went to a cafe every day and wrote. Love that. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was, I, I think it was probably pretty annoying. Um I love that though that in like obviously lots of people have the stories of like yeah I woke up early or I wrote after dinner instead of watching tv or whatever you're like I gave up yeah. exercise <laughs> like only so many hours in the day and like yeah. it seems like a real give up because I literally did give up my gym membership and I went to the 24-hour McDonald's that was on the way to work so it like I really do correlate those yeah I mean I'm assuming you weren't sitting with a big mac every morning and and writing but it is a funny image thinking giving up the gym membership but it was I mean and I always say this to people that um, want to write books and haven't yet that the first book I wrote an hour a day I did it every day and it just nudged it forward over time and um, it happened so yeah, I think it's I think it's really possible. I always find that very heartening. Yeah, I mean it is that thing of like classic cliched saying that, you know, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. So if you start writing a hundred words here and there where you can, yeah, it takes time, but it's all adding up slowly, slowly, slowly. And also I think the more you write, even if you have to cull, you know, whole perspectives it's the act of writing as we said before that is going to help you improve and grow and so yeah really the best thing to do is if you if you want to start writing is to literally just start just kind of have to start everybody has to start somewhere but it's a weird thing to do like if you if you haven't uh like exercise we have an expectation that people will just do that like that's a thing Mm. to do I don't know that everyone fits it into their exactly. days on their week somewhere. I yeah. don't know why that felt strange to me to to do that for writing. Like, yeah, it just felt it like feels a really indulgent. different. Yeah, and and yeah, indulgent. And who are you to do? Like, you're not a writer, you, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's just and that until you're like some household name best-selling writer, that it's your full-time job that you kind of have to like fit the time in elsewhere where you would otherwise be sleeping exactly. or something exactly. like and it's this massive sacrifice. exactly and yeah. I think you really feel that when you have kids too that need to make something invisible that is yours yeah well thank you so much for joining us it's been such a delight to chat to you could you please tell us where people can find you online and also listen to the podcast? Sure. Well, firstly, thank you for having me. Such a good conversation. I'm on Twitter, but really only looking for Real Housewives content. <laughs> genuinely, genuinely. Um, so I'm not on Twitter that much. Uh, mainly on Instagram and my um, at is at Catherine Collette Writer. Uh, the podcast is called The First Time Podcast. We're on Instagram at the first time pods, um, but you can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> Wonderful. Awesome. We know that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. I love that podcast in the world just decided that their Instagram handle would be something pod. Yeah. Like, yeah. Do, like, why is I that don't a... know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Because like we automatically as well. Yeah. And I don't and know. I, like I don't know. It's much better for some reason, but yeah. I suppose it's shorter, but like, mm. yeah, it's a random, it's a random corner to cut, isn't it? Like, yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I really did enjoy it a lot. Thank you for listening to Better Words. You can chat to us on Instagram at Better Words Pod. And follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf. And me, Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book-loving friend and leave a rating or review.